Welcome to the Community Immunity Podcast. Every month I am bringing you two new guests from the world of spiritual, physical, mental and emotional well-being to strengthen your own immunity, to invite you to awaken the potential within. My name is Lucia Hargasova and I am a life and leadership coach. Hi, William. I'm so very grateful to have you on the Community Immunity Podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. William is an author of a very important book called Alcohol Explained. And, you know, today is such an important time to be talking to you. So welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. So as I mentioned, this is a hugely important topic. Very interestingly, I find it it's still a little bit of a taboo in the world. And when I personally read your book, Alcohol Explained, it truly changed forever the way I look at alcohol. And it's like I literally cannot unlearn what I already know. And I mean it in a really good way. So now I want to point out that today we are really only going to address so-called social drinking, if you allow me. So not really focusing on the total sobriety or the extreme, you know, alcoholic addiction. But before we go into the details, I just really want to understand, you know, given where we are in the world today, what is your perspective on wise understanding how alcohol affects our mind and body more important than perhaps ever before? So I think the main thing we're facing at the moment, obviously, is the COVID-19 lockdown and people globally found a huge change to their lifestyle. And I think the thing is with most, with I think with all drinkers, they have kind of these written or unwritten conscious or subconscious rules that they apply to their drinking. So things like, I only ever drink on weekends, I never drink on my own, I wait till I get home before I have a glass of wine, I never drink in the morning, that kind of thing. We hold these, these rules with us and we hold them quite closely and quite often they're the things that convince us that we don't have a problem. My alcohol drinking isn't a problem because I never drink during the day, I wait till I get home. But the problem is these rules, they do tend to get thrown out the window when the situation dictates of it and obvious ones for that are things like Christmas and holidays. So people that say only, are they only ever drink weekends will suddenly drink every day while they're on holiday. And people who don't drink in the morning will have a glass of champagne on Christmas morning or when they get to the airport very early before they get on a plane, they will have a drink. Now the problem is for a lot of people, the lockdown has been one of those times when they've thrown the rules out the window because They don't wait till they get home from work because they're not getting home from work. Everything is completely changed. So the rules have changed as well. And I've said this a few times, but I think a lot of people are treating this as a kind of mix between Christmas and the end of the world. They're just drinking their way through it. And people who previously would only drink once or twice a week suddenly find they're drinking daily. People who would only drink after 6pm suddenly find they're drinking earlier and earlier. And I think so now more than ever, it's a time to really be mindful about what you're doing with your drinking. Yeah, I mean, you just raised so many great points. And even personally, I had a, you know, an aha moment where 
I think there's like two extremes happening. Probably less people are kind of interested in, you know, making a positive change in their life. Like, oh, this is a time to start the detox or, you know, you know, improve my health. But I think the majority, if we look around, is actually in the group you are talking about, is actually handling this, this level of extreme anxiety or, as you, you know, call it, let, let me go through it. So actually going into details now based on what you just shared is, so why is it that we drain more than we intend to? Okay, so, so there's a few aspects to why there's this tendency to always drink a bit more than you want to. And to delve into them, we need to understand a bit about alcohol and a, and a little bit about how the human brain works. So I'm going to go into sort of a very high level detail here. I'm not going to go into all the chemical reactions. But what we need to understand about the human brain is it creates and excretes its own chemicals, drugs and hormones. So, so things you would have heard of like adrenaline, endorphins, all these kind of things, your brain creates and excretes them. So we've got a lot of drugs and chemicals going around in our system that are naturally occurring. Now, the, the human brain works by way of what's known as homeostasis, which is a kind of a delicate internal chemical balance between all these different chemicals and drugs and hormones. Okay, so alcohol is quite a powerful depressant and when I use the term depressant I'm using it in its chemical sense as something that decreases or inhibits nerve activity it's a sedative and an anesthetic so when we drink alcohol it anesthetizes us and sedates us which is the feeling of relaxation we get from an alcoholic drink but the problem is the brain seeks to counter it the brain isn't just a passive lump that sits there it reacts when chemicals are put into it so when you put a depressant, a sedative like alcohol inside you, the brain seeks to maintain the balance, to go back to a balance. And it does that by increasing the stimulant side of things. So if you think of it almost like a seesaw or a weighing scale, where you've got the depressants on one side and the stimulants on the other, when you put more depressants on, your brain seeks to balance things by increasing the stimulant side of things. Now, that's a perfectly normal and correct reaction, and it's your body being able to counter the poisoning effects of a drug, of a chemical. But the problem is when the alcohol wears off, you're left overly stimulated. Now, one small glass of wine will have that effect. It will be almost negligible. Most people wouldn't even notice it. But they would feel slightly more on edge and slightly out of sorts. And of course, the more you drink, the more extreme the reaction is. And it goes from, you know, feeling slightly more anxious and nervous to, you know, for chronic alcoholics, and I appreciate we're not drink, talking of that level, but I think it helps to get things into perspective when, when they have the shakes and hallucinations and all the rest of it. So I think what you need to bear in mind is when you have an alcoholic drink, when it wears off, any relaxing effect you get, it leaves a corresponding feeling of anxiety. And the quickest and easiest way of getting rid of that feeling of anxiety is to take another alcoholic drink. Because again, if you go back to the scale example, you've got it fairly equal when you start out, but then you add depressants on, so your brain counters it with increasing stimulants. And then when the depressants wear off, you're overly stimulated. So the easiest way to get back to normal is to have another alcoholic drink. So in that way, you know, 20, 30 minutes after you've had a drink, you need another one 
So if you're drinking, for example, to relieve anxiety after the first 20 minutes, half an hour, the alcohol's worn off anyway, but then you've got increased anxiety from that chemical reaction that's happened. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. Now, what I'm curious is when I'm listening to you and you know, I imagine I have not read your book is I, when you say you want another drink, but how, how do you know? Like, for example, I take my drink. Okay. I have a beer because I'm a beer drinker, you know, let's just say Slovakians <laughs> and I have a beer and then, you know, I'm starting to feel kind of this anxiety, but this is all kind of subconscious, right? How would yeah. I know? How is, how does my brain know that the way to fix this feeling is to have another drink? Like, can you, can you just go back to this idea that yeah, you remember absolutely. something? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that brings us on to a part of the brain called the subconscious. And you hear the term subconscious an awful lot and people use it almost for any working of the human brain that they don't really understand or thing, you know, doing things that they rather they didn't do. When it's I funny. use it, yeah, <laughs> blame the subconscious for everything. When I refer to the subconscious, I'm using it in a, in a very specific way. And it's a part of your brain that automates reactions. And the best example of it is, is if you drive, um, of course, you use your right foot when you're braking to slow the vehicle down. Now, if you're a regular driver and then you get into like a taxi or, you know, someone's giving you a lift, so you're a passenger and that person is either driving too fast or driving too close to the vehicle in front, you find your right leg keeps tensing. And obviously, there's no reason for that, because if you're a passenger, there's no brake on your side of the car. But your brain has learned through however many years you've been driving that tensing your right leg will slow a vehicle down. So it's that, that's what I mean. When you do something repeatedly time and time again and get the same reaction, when your brain thinks you need that reaction, it will trigger that act. So, for example, being in a car too fast, your brain will start your right leg tensing to try and slow the vehicle down. Now, with alcohol, when you have an alcoholic drink and then have a second alcoholic drink, so it starts to relieve that chemical imbalance caused by the first one, the lesson your brain, your subconscious brain is is starting to learn is that that particular type of anxiousness or anxiety is relieved by another alcoholic drink. So over the years, it becomes almost like an automated process for you. The thought kicks in as soon as you start to feel that anxiety to reach for an alcoholic drink. But one of the problems, of course, is the chemical anxiety caused by drinking is identical to the anxiety you get from the stresses and strains of everyday life. So your brain starts to kick in with the thought of an alcoholic drink when you're you know, stressed or anxious or equally when the last alcoholic drink starts to fade away and you're left with that chemical anxiousness that's been caused by the previous drink. Wow, the fascinating. I mean, literally, I'm just, you know, I have so many questions right now, but I mean, to keep it very simple, I'm just going to come back to then a point that, for example, if I'm a teenager, okay, and I'm 17 and I have my very first drink, Okay, or I only, you know, been drinking for let's say, you know, first few times. Are you suggesting that at that time I didn't quite yet have that? Like it's the brain hasn't yet learned potentially that it's 
because you know of the repeat action and that's kind of a time it's a good time to like actually not continue drinking and just trying to kind of start to really understand that okay you know i am you know my age and you know i obviously have had so many drinks in my life but if i'm going back to the past and like the very teenage drinks you know social influence everyone's drinking around i haven't learned that yet quite correct yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. And the problem is, of course, there's so many different permeations of how it can play out. Because for some people, if they only ever, so some people will just only ever have one drink, they're just brought up just to have an alcoholic drink. Now, if you take this hypothetical person who only ever has one alcoholic drink, say once a week, firstly, the chemical anxiety they get from that alcoholic drink when it wears off will be very, very negligible anyway, so they probably won't even notice it. But if they never have the second alcoholic drink, the brain will never learn the lesson that alcohol will relieve that. So you could almost go on indefinitely without ever becoming addicted to it because you're not drinking enough. But however, if you're brought up in a family where, like I was, where you don't just have one, when the drinks come out, you keep drinking them, of course, that learned reaction is going to come about a lot quicker. Now, one of the other interesting things with alcohol, because we imbibe it by drinking it, we taste it when we imbibe it. So that's one of the things that the brain kicks in to link the cause and effect. So it's the taste that it links to the effect. Now, when you first start drinking, if you have two or three drinks, it obviously it's poisonous, so you feel ill from it. So your brain's immediate reaction is, this is poison, I don't want it anymore. So actually the first few, and it can be the first few years even that you drink, when you wake up with a hangover, you're repulsed by the thought of more drinking. Now the problem is, certainly here in the UK, we have sort of a weekend drinking culture. So people tend to drink heavily on Friday and then Saturday, at the very least. Now the problem is when you're drinking on a Saturday, you're drinking through the hangover. Now what your brain is learning over repeated acts is that actually and going back to the what we're talking about the physiological side when you feel out of sorts and anxious from previous drinking the quickest way to remedy that is to take another alcoholic drink so when you're a teenager and you've got a hangover and you start drinking again on the one hand your body is saying to you this is the poison that caused the problem don't drink it so you're repulsed by it as you manage to force down alcoholic drinks what you're doing is remedying that chemical defect so your brain starts to learn that far from being something to find repulsive when you're hungover actually it's something you need when you're hungover because it's the quickest way to start to feel better so what you're doing you're, you're reversing the natural scheme of things which is to find alcohol repulsive and actually to find it a necessity. And obviously, again, that in extreme cases is what we think of as extreme alcoholism. It's the worse you are and the worse state you are in from drinking, the more you need another alcoholic drink to function. Wow. <laughs> again, you know, I'm just, you know, referring to another point of how little do we really know and, you know, talk about something as important as substance which we are so used to you know seeing around from a very young age as well as you know it's just a part of the social thing and if you are not drinking is actually you, you're being challenged by saying okay what's wrong with you why are you not drinking are you pregnant or you know yeah, exactly. you're constantly, yeah constantly having to justify it yeah exactly so i do have uh, one question specific to the physiology and i guess 
something which is so important now is this effect of alcohol and our emotions. So, you know, going beyond the, oh, I've been drinking too much last night and I feel physically hangover. It's more the kind of the link between how we feel strong and, you know, have a sense of clarity and we feel like, you know, we can make changes in our life in terms of whether it's finding a new job or looking for new opportunities or just, you know, feeling good in where we are. How is alcohol or kind of a, a drinking constantly, even if it's, let's say, three, four drinks, affecting our emotions? So one of the most important ways, that I think there's a few points to, to talk about there. there. There's how alcohol actually affects emotions when you're drinking. There's also how it affects sort of, if you like, your mental health and your mental resilience. Now, one of the biggest things alcohol does, and this is one of the hugest unappreciated effects of it, is it how it impacts sleep. Now, the problem is because alcohol is a sedative and a depressant, its immediate effect is that it puts you to sleep. So people the world over believe that alcohol is a sleep aid. But the problem is, again, to talk about alcohol and sleep, it it helps just, I think, to run through the basics of sleep. Now, as human beings, there's a lot we do not understand about sleep. But what we do know is sleep is not just a question of lying down and falling unconscious for a few hours and waking up feeling fine. It's far more intricate than that. And what we have to do is, as humans, we have to go through different sleep cycles in certain orders and for certain time periods. And it's a very delicate and specific process. And if we go through the correct cycles in the correct order, we wake up feeling resilient, strong, mentally prepared to face the day. Okay, so One of the main differentiating features between the different cycles of sleep is how deeply unconscious we are. So we've got something called deep sleep, which as you'd expect is when you're very, very deeply unconscious. But on the other end of the scale, we've got something called REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Now, REM sleep is strange. And again, nobody really knows why we need it. But when they've attached sensors to people and tested them through REM sleep, the brain lights up as if it's fully conscious. It's very, very strange, but it's a level of sleep where we're almost fully conscious, but not quite. And that's where we get very vivid dreams. And as I say, we don't really understand what REM sleep is or why it's so important, but they've done tests with rats where they deprived them of REM sleep and it's actually killed them within a few weeks. So it's crucially important. So I think if you take nothing else away from this, just bear in mind that you have to go through these different sleep cycles. And the main differentiating factor is how deeply unconscious or how nearly awake you are through them. Now, the problem is when we drink alcohol, it acts to put us asleep, i.e. unconscious. But because it is a sedative, our brain finds it very, very difficult to take us into the higher consciousness levels of sleep, like REM sleep. People, when they drink alcohol, I think the average is to go through two cycles of REM sleep, whereas without alcohol, you go through six. So that's a massive difference. Now, the problem is as well, when the alcohol wears off and when you're overly stimulated, you can't sleep at all which is why a lot of drinkers find they wake up at maybe three or four in the morning and can't get back to sleep. Now, if we're talking about mental health, 
and how resilient and confident and happy you're feeling. Imagine if, for example, you needed to sleep from 11 o'clock. Let's say you needed eight hours sleep a night and your average sleeping pattern is 11 at night till seven in the morning. So there's your eight hours. Okay, that's what you need to feel you know, confident, resilient, happy, positive, ready to go out and face the world and do whatever you need to do. Imagine if you set an alarm for, say, three o'clock in the morning every night and woke up and drank eight cups of strong black coffee and then couldn't go back to sleep afterwards. Imagine what kind of state you would be in after weeks and weeks and months and years of that. That's essentially what you're doing when you drink alcohol. You're going into too deep a sleep for the first part of the sleep, so you can't go into the higher levels. And after that, you can hardly sleep at all because you're overstimulated. Okay, so that's a massive way in that alcohol impacts how we feel. But the problem is when we go into the next day and we feel tired and we feel slightly anxious from the previous drinking, if we then get to the evening and have an alcoholic drink, that alcoholic drink, by correcting the chemical balance, makes us feel a lot better. And because alcohol is an anaesthetic, it's anaesthetizing those feelings of tiredness. And it's a sedative, so it helps put us off to sleep. For all those reasons, we're fooled into thinking that alcohol is a friend and is helping us, where in fact it's the complete opposite. So in those ways, it quite it's very damaging for sort of our mental health and resilience anyway, just for the impact it has on sleep. But of course, the next day you've got that over anxiety anyway. So you're almost constantly suffering from additional anxiety. And if it's just one or two drinks, then it's, it may still be minor, but you're still, you still have that additional anxiety for the whole day. A lot of people, when they're drinking a lot, they find they have mental health problems, they have anxiety, they have depression. And when they keep drinking, those mental health problems, surprise, surprise, disappear because they don't have the chemical-induced anxiety and they get back to a decent sleeping pattern, which is, you know, has untold benefits for us. So, so that's the, the impact on sort of resilience. The, the actual impact on emotions is slightly different because, again, there's a lot we don't understand about how emotions are processed. But the prevailing theory at the moment is that emotions are regulated by a part of your brain called the limbic system. Okay, so what the limbic system does is it regulates, I mean, it inhibits emotions. So how emotions work in the human is that an emotion is kicked off but then inhibited, slowed down by the limbic system. So if something causes you to lose your temper, instead of flying into a complete rage about it, the limbic system will calm it down and stop it from getting out of hand. Now, the anaesthetizing effects of alcohol have a very pronounced effect on the limbic system. So what happens when you're drinking, you become increasingly unable to regulate your emotions. So that's why we have these stereotypes of you know, people crying when they've been drinking or trying to get in contact with exes because they feel really nostalgic. Whatever emotion you feel when you're drinking tends to run completely unchecked. So I think there's those two aspects to emotions. For me, the first part in terms of, you know, us willingly <laughs> depriving ourselves from sleep, just referring to myself when I was still breastfeeding my, you know, at the time a baby. And I went through a very dark period of like about three months when I really didn't sleep for a long period of time. And I came to a point where for the first time in my life, I really felt like, oh my God, I'm going through some kind of a depression because of all the hormonal change. 
plus mm. the no sleep. And actually what really helped is my husband took over at the time for just literally two or three days and just getting a few good nights sleep made a massive difference. So just, just mm-hmm. knowing this and having this awareness of how much that affects human being is, is really, really big. But one thing I am still slightly kind of questioning is, so when people say, well, yeah, but alcohol makes me so happy when, you know, what you're talking about is when we go through like a very drunken period where kind of you lose it by either crying or shouting or getting into argument. But I'm talking more about like the steady social drinking where you kind of feel so happy it's not a real happiness, right? This is, this is the game or, or the a dance of the hormones, which is the natural good being affected so much by this, yeah, by this drug, right? Yeah, so the social aspect is a slightly different matter. Now, most people will have heard of endorphins. So the, these are sort of the happy, naturally occurring happy chemical. And you get it from, you know, eating a nice meal or exercise. And it's essentially... It, my understanding of it is it's it's kind of the survival drug so it's it's when you do something that's good for you as a person or for the species generally so as i say eating exercise those kind of things they they give you an endorphin you get an endorphin boost now interestingly for human beings we also get endorphins from socializing so if you are relaxed and happy and socializing with people you get a huge endorphin rush. So it feels good to us. We, you know, we, we're encouraged to do it by our brains. So the reason no one's really clear about, but the fact is it's there. So, but the problem is, as human beings, we're also products of society. So when we, we meet other people, we always, first anyway, feel slightly inhibited because we're concerned about what they think of us or whether we'll say something stupid or whatever. Now, the more worried you are about that, the shyer you are. But whoever it is, over time, if you're in a situation, you eventually will start to relax. And as you start to relax while you're socialising, the endorphins will flow. And that's that really good feeling we get. Now, because alcohol, again, going back to its sedative or depressant effects, it can anaesthetise that initial feeling of nerves we get. So when we go to a social function, we don't get the endorphins immediately because we're not relaxed enough immediately. It takes a bit of time for us to relax. Now, what alcohol does in anaesthetizing our nerves can then get rid of that nervous feeling so that our brain will release the endorphins. But the key there is when you are socializing and drinking and you feel really good, it's not an alcohol feeling at all. That's an endorphin feeling. And if you're in any doubt about that, now in lockdown is a perfect time to put it to the test. Because if you sit with no music, no TV, no company, and drink what you would normally drink on a night out, you will find it a hugely different experience compared to if you were out with your friends chatting and laughing to them. It can best be described as a sort of a slight tunnel vision and slight confusion. It's not particularly enjoyable, and that is the pure effect of alcohol. So when you socialise and you're having a lovely time with drinking, it's not the drinking, it's the socialising and the chemicals you get from socialising that make you feel good. Now, one of the problems with this is it kind of feeds in on itself, because if you're used to going out and drinking, and then say, for example, you drive one evening, so you're the designated driver you're not going to be relaxed and happy because you're approaching it thinking, oh, I can't drink tonight. Everyone else is drinking. So you feel slightly left out anyway. 
and also you can not be quite as happy as you would be because you're not drinking and I'm not saying it's a massive problem you will go anyway but you you then find that you don't get that endorphin rush that buzz when you're not drinking so then that kind of feeds into that belief that the pleasant feeling we get when we have a drink with friends is the alcohol rather than the occasion itself well aren't we all looking forward to get the endorphins back <laughs> by specializing <laughs> only and, yeah but i i love your point of you know putting certain things into a test and i know you mentioned another example in your book where you said well you know it's the same thing well if you just start drinking during the day and by the time it's like three in the afternoon and you're supposed to stop and you have this massive you know anxiety i think that's another a good test mm. to try while Absolutely. we are yeah, while we so are stuck yeah yeah. I really would love to ask you one more question. I know this is a tricky one because there is no short answer to this one. But if you know people heard you now speaking to me and they're like, okay, I really want to do something about it. I just don't know where to start. What would be kind of the first steps you would recommend to someone who is just really curious and wants to either know more or really wants to do something about you know, creating this positive change in their life? So for me, it's all about information and having as much information as you can. So whether people choose to drink or not drink is entirely up to them. But what I'm interested in is that the decision is based on the correct information. So, I mean, as we've spoken about very briefly, and so a lot of people's beliefs around alcohol, they drink because people will say to you, it it helps you sleep, it relieves anxiety, it helps you relax, it helps you socialise. We've already looked quite briefly at how those four things, it's not the case at all. And so that's what I would say. I would say to start learning as much as you can about it, because essentially knowledge, knowledge is what allows you to make a decision. Okay, if you're going to buy a TV, for example, and you've got two different models, you want to know the size of them, the quality of the picture, the quality, you know, you you need as much information as you can to make a decision. And what I would say to them is start amassing that information that's what you need to do and in fact one of the best ways you can do that is from your own drinking so you know if you are locked down at home start really concentrating on your drinking start thinking about how it actually tastes and how it makes you feel and how you feel when you wake up at three or four in the morning and start comparing it to how you would feel if you hadn't been drinking so for example waking up feeling absolutely fine and I think when you start to analyze it and form your own opinions rather than accepting what perhaps the majority of people believe in it that isn't necessarily true, we start to build up a very different picture about alcohol and probably one where it's a lot easier to make decisions about whether you want it in your life at all or if so, how much. So that would be my main advice, I think, just to really get as much information as you can and start to really concentrate on your own drinking. Yeah, and you know, you just described pretty much my mission with this podcast is I really truly believe that it is all about personal experience and personal transformation. And you know, all of this is just seeds of inspiration and people really taking the next step for themselves if this resonates and then going out there and you know, either listening to your audiobook or you know, there's so many books out there actually about the topic and beyond. Mm. And really just looking at, okay, has something inside me (laughs) made me feel I I really am curious about this topic and not pushing it down and not ignoring it because it does have a massive 
impact on our lives. And, and I just feel so grateful for you taking this time to talk to me today, William. Thank you. No, thank you for asking me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast, share it, or tell a friend about it. Until next time.